This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. So I'm reading from John chapter 11, from verses 28 to 37. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Well, we have a very, very special, um, not guest, family member, uh, mm-hmm. Curtis Ivanoff. Come on up, Curtis. Curtis um, is our brand new Alaska Conference superintendent. Yes, and uh, that's right. <laughs> and uh, Curtis actually was the author of this shift curriculum for this week's study. And so we're not only having to be blessed by you sharing from the Word of God, but really sharing your heart, Curtis, uh, as you have written uh, the curriculum for the shift study we're going through, and in particular this week. So we're looking forward to all that the Lord has to say uh, through you to us. So again, let's hear it for Curtis Ivanov. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. So I just got to tell you how, you know, um, God is good. And I want that to be my lead-off hit here, okay? God is good. I just met a lady named Sharice. <clears throat> my daughter's name is Sharice. I only know of two other Sharices in the world. We spell it C-H-A-R-I-S. Uh, and it means grace. Uh, our, my wife was told she couldn't probably have kids medically. And um, it's a long story. I won't tell it, but amazingly... Two days before Christmas, she found out she was expecting in 1997. And uh, months later, I was reading What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. And I came across that we had neighbors whose daughter was named Sharice. And I saw it right there in the book. Grace. It means grace. I was like, Christy, if we have a, if our child's a daughter, we're going to name her Sharice. And lo and behold, we had a daughter and we named her Sharice. And this morning I met another Sharice. And uh, so I was pretty excited. Um, It just reminded me of how good our God is. 
And in this morning's message has to do about um, our shifting our ability to see pain. And, and I want to say, I think it's important to lead off with how good God is. Because there is pain in life. Deep pain. Pain that's personal. Pain that you look around society and there's no shortage of pain. And so all the more, we need to be proclaiming and leaning on and, and meditating on how good God is. Amen? We can be reminded even by names of God's goodness, His grace. So uh, I just had to share that. Lamentations 3 says, I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank You for these moments we have together this morning as we come to Your Word. We pray that Your Holy Spirit would help us to to, uh, hear, learn, understand, be transformed. And so be our teacher now, Jesus. We're here listening, waiting for You to speak. And so may I be Your mouthpiece this morning as we look at your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I grew up in Unalakleet, uh, a village, and I just got to tell you that as your Alaska superintendent, I don't think there's any other superintendents that have their Bibles duct taped together. So I just want, you to, I just want to point that out in case you're distracted by it this morning. Uh, that's how we roll in Alaska, right? We keep things pieced together by duct tape. And thankfully, God's duct tape... Uh, Keeps our lives together, if you will, huh? Um, last week, uh, it was a week ago, we were at the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention Conference uh, at the Denina Center. It's the largest gathering of Alaska Natives at any one time in the state. And in fact, it's the largest indigenous gathering of, in the nation. So it's a pretty big gathering. Uh, people come from all over the state talking about uh, Alaska Native issues, matters, political, economic, cultural. It's a big reunion. Love it. It's, it's a great fun. My sister was given a President's Award. There's like 15 different awards. Um, and one of them was, is called the Della Keats Healing Hands Award. Uh, and so we were, our whole family went. All my bro- my, both of our, our brothers were there, and my mom and dad, my sister's in-laws, her husband, to celebrate with her and to share in that, that joy, that recognition of being honored. She's a doctor. She lives in Nome. And has served in Nome for uh, for a while, and, and uh, so she was honored. <clears throat> Later, they said after that, there's a room set aside for a reception to go and you know get pictures, and there was going to be some gifts given to those people who were given those awards. And so we we all went into this room. We were jam packed into there, and after about ten minutes, you know, there was pictures and handshakes, and there was a news reporter uh, writing, actually talking to my sister and others, and you know, it was just it was just a very a uh, joyous occasion. Someone came walking in the back door, someone associated with the event, and said, excuse me, we have an, an emergency and we need to evacuate the building. Well, you know, we were, it went from happy joy to what's going on. 
is there a fire? What happened? You know? And so people, we just, they said, it's not, it, you don't need to rush. Let's calmly just leave the, leave the building. And they directed us down the stairs and, and out we went. Uh, and so people, but we were wondering, what's going on? Well, one of the leaders, I happened to be near him. Um, he turned to me and he knew, you know, I'm a, he knows I'm a pastor. And, and he said to me, uh, and he said, someone jumped. And, and you read about it in the news, maybe, or saw the news story. Um, at the AFN gathering, someone jumped and took their life. Right in the heart of our Alaska Native community. Right in the midst of celebrating. So I come to you this morning um, feeling pretty raw. Because that was on the heels of our, you know, you said family taught our covenant. We have a covenant church in Hooper Bay. And you may have heard in Hooper Bay. It's our family, people. You're connected to the community of Hooper Bay. You may not realize it, but we have covenant family there. Uh, and in a matter of two weeks, four young people under the age of 25 took their life. And so, you know, we were already burdened and, and, and grieving about that. And then we go to, I go to AFN to, to be with my sister and family and other friends, other, other Alaska natives, and someone jumped. It was as if death just mocked our community, you know? Um, and so we got outside and I, I began to... You know, we got outside and, and the people who were in that room together celebrating and wanting to honor those who had been recognized for their service, their sacrifice, their contribution to the Native community. You know, we're, we're on this corner of the street and there's people taking pictures and smiling. And, you know, and it, was, it was just a really um, contrasting moment because right behind us there was a fire truck and, a, you know, police car, sirens were on and... And, um, and I was very in tune with having been told what had happened. I just had this sinking feeling. And I was asking myself, why, Lord? For real? Today, right here? Again? Those kind of thoughts were going through my mind. And, um, and then, then I began to notice people hugging, people crying. Um... So I'm, I'm really coming this morning with, with a heavy heart, um, but with a hopeful heart. And that's what we want to look at this morning. This encounter of Jesus, where he hears of his friend, a man he loved, was, uh, had died. We, you heard the story in, in the Gospel of John. It's a really interesting scene because Jesus, the Son of God, who had just proclaimed in a few verses earlier to, to Martha, He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in Me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing Me will never die. Do you believe this? You know, he's, He just proclaimed this and, and taught this, if you will, to Martha. I'm the resurrection Death is not going to have the last word, Martha. I'm going to conquer the grave. Of course, they didn't know that. They didn't understand that. They, they thought he was the Messiah who was going to defeat the Roman Empire and bring back peace and righteousness and, and justice. And, 
And, uh, but here he is speaking about being the resurrection. So it's, it's interesting because Jesus knows he's going to conquer the grave. He knows that death is going to be defeated. He knows that Paul would one day write, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And, and yet, in this scene, it's, it's, it has moved me uh, this week in particular, even thinking about uh, this message, shifting our ability to see pain and to address things in the world that, that aren't right. Um, this, I didn't use this scripture passage in, my, in what I wrote for this curriculum, but I thought, you know what? This is the truth. This is, this is what the Lord wants us to hear this morning. So, he, he, the scene, knowing that Jesus knows this, that He's the conquered death, uh, I was moved by a few things. Jesus had, it says, He had not yet entered the village. Um, he was still at the place where Martha had met him, where they had the conversation. So then, when when they had the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to to mourn there. But it ends up that she is goes to the place uh, where Jesus where Jesus was. The scene captures um, it captures a community. I think it captures a community, a community who's grieving. And that might be one lesson for us as we when I when I think about that title of our our ability to see pain, I've been thinking about ability, but I'll tell you what has really come out to me later, but in thinking about our ability to see pain, I it's it's important that we do things like this together, you know? Our Alaska Native community was together when someone took their life. People were together. Jews were together. And they were, they were mourning. They were mourning. They went together. They saw Mary go. And so they, they went there. But she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Like, boy, if only, you know. And, and so often in, in times of pain... When there's when things are raw or hurting, we we sometimes ask and wonder the well, what if that that big word if, you know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. So, so here's here's what's moving to me, Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus, Jesus sees the weeping. You know, I've been thinking about how do we increase our ability, you know. I was an athlete growing up, played basketball and, you know, coached. And so, man, you, you always want to see ability. I was a teacher, you know, I taught math. I want kids' math ability to increase, you know, and... And, uh, and so today we're talking about ability to see pain. And I don't know if it's a chicken and egg thing, but, but I, I, the word see, ability to see pain, I, I've, I've come to realize, you know what, that was, that's just it. Jesus saw her weeping. Jesus, they, they said to him, come and see, they replied. His eyes were open and in tune 
with with the with the need, with the situation, with the brokenness, with the pain. And if we're going to increase our ability, we just we need to see. It's I don't know if that works or not for you, but Jesus saw her weeping. And it was when he saw them weeping, it says, John said he was deeply moved because he saw. When we were at outside on the street corner, outside the Denina Convention Center, I, I was kind of the designated photographer, so I was, I was taking pictures. All right, let's get mom and dad, you know. All right, let's get the brothers together. And there were people from the Bering Straits, Native Corporation. Let's get the three people from that corporation who were were given an honor and you know um, but all the while I just those red and blue lights were flashing then I noticed um, my sister-in-law kind of left the group and right in the corner on the, in the uh, where the walls of the outside building met there was there was this young lady from Point Hope that I knew when I taught in Norvik weeping and my sister-in-law went over to her, left our picture-taking thing, and, and uh, gave her a big hug. And uh, that image is in my mind this morning. My sister-in-law saw pain in someone. And you know, let's be honest, our society, we're pretty averse to uh, dealing with pain. We like extra strength Tylenol, you know. Um, we like 800 milligram ibuprofen. We got to leave. I mean, you walk down the drugstore aisle and man, there's all kinds of things that just tell us we don't like pain. And I mean, yeah, come on. I don't like pain, right? It's, it's not pleasant. Um, but what can be hard is, is how do you enter into someone's pain, especially when it's just right in your face, you know? It just happened. What do you what do you do? When I was a teacher, we were the youth group leaders in Unilkley, one of our students, she was a sophomore in high school, <clears throat> uh, we got word that her, her father went through the ice and and they're searching for him. Well we knew that we knew that story, that we knew that was a loss. And I grew up just you know Deaf, I just did not. You know, my dad died when I was seven, I don't know. But it was always hard for me to, to be around when there was loss like that. Well, my wife, Curtis, we've got to go. We've got to go be with our student. She's lost her dad. It was nine o'clock at night. I was like, oh, man. I was just squirming and, and not just everything in me was going, no, no, I don't, I don't know what, what to say. And don't you ever, you ever feel like that when there's, when there's pain? What do I say? What do I do? And that question was being asked on Saturday and, and throughout the weeks before that with Hooper Bay. What do we do? And there was no easy answer. Well, Jesus saw, and when he saw, he was moved and he wept. He wept. Tears can be hard to come by, uh, and it, it's, it's um, sometimes uncomfortable. But I, I'm coming to realize, when we think about our ability to see pain and to address hurt, like death, and there's other hurt, there's all kinds of other hurt, um, 
But when we think about our ability to see pain and to address things that cause the pain, one thing that I'm becoming more and more aware of is um, not so much about what we do, um, but a, a posture, a posture of prayer. It's actually a way to pray. And um, a lot of the Psalms are these, and that's a lament. It's a lament. Jesus wept. And I, I learned, I recently had um, been thinking about this and preparing for a message I was giving about reconciliation. And I, wrote, I read these two authors who co-wrote a book, a man from Uganda, Father Emmanuel Katongale, and a guy named Chris Rice from Alabama. And they reflect on their stories of the brokenness in their country, in their state, in, their, in our nation, between racial, um, racial um, racism and the, and the pain from that and the, and the struggle with that. But there was, there was, they spoke about lament. And listen to what they said. Lament is not despair. It is not whining. It is not a cry into a void. Lament is a cry directed to God. It is the cry of those who see the truth of the world's deep wounds and the cost of seeking peace. It is the prayer of those who are deeply disturbed by the way things are. That was Jesus there when he was at the tomb where Lazarus had been laid for four days. They said, don't open it up, it's going to smell. He was deeply disturbed and his response was weeping. Jesus lamented on the cross, if you might remember. He quoted one of the Psalms, which is a lament psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it is a cry. And even in, acknowledge, even in lamenting, when we lament, we recognize that there is, that there is hope. And, and I, I just have to believe Jesus, in His tears, His tears for us, in our pain personally, the pain that we see in the world, whether it's... Man, you just... Man, you, news story after news story, you, you read shootings... No shortage of pain, but the tears of Jesus. I, I come to see as it's tears that, that uh, bring us comfort, and they're tears that, that bring us hope. And they're tears that tell us that it's okay to cry, because sometimes, you know, we can say, oh, well, just have some faith. And, and ha- you know, there's hope. But how do you... How, do you, how can you say that to someone who's maybe just lost their child or to a community who's lost their fourth young adult? Those words can ring hollow. But the tears of Jesus, that salty taste that might have come down his beard and into his mouth, those remind us that God is with us in our pain. And when we can... Realize that. I think we can have a greater ability to, to see the hurt that Jesus sees in the world, whether it's racial issues, loss like death, 
economic hardships. Um, I think when we when we can receive those tears, we'll see like Jesus sees and pray for His grace to break into this world. A lament's not a cry into a void. No, it's directed to God. So, they said this about lament. Because what, you know, uh, you might have heard the acronym for prayer, ACTS. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. That leaves out almost half of the book of Psalms because we don't have lament in there. Right? And so, lamenting is, is it's kind of foreign to us, I think. As a corporate body in evangelical churches, we're not accustomed. Our North... Park professor Sung Chan Ra has just written a, a commentary and book on lamentations called Prophetic Lament. And that's what he argues. He says, we're not, we do not do this well. For whatever reason, maybe it's uncomfortable, but in his book he calls us to lament. I found two things that Katongle and Rice to be helpful when they talked about lament. Two ways that we can engage in lamenting for the brokenness that's around us whether it's racism or death from suicide. They said one is pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is a posture. Very different from mission. The goal of a pilgrim is not to solve, but to search. Not so much to help, as to be present. What does that sound like? That sounds to me like that moment when Jesus was present with Lazarus' family. Weeping with them. Pilgrims do not rush to a goal. Get this. They slow down to hear the crying. And then there's confession. It is a way of unlearning innocence. As we learn to go out of our way to draw near and tarry with the pain of the world. Again, sounds like Jesus, huh? Draw near. The challenge is to keep naming the truth. Keep being disturbed. Keep remembering the awful depth of brokenness. The prayers of lament in the Psalms, the prayers were, were public. They were public prayers intended to be read and inserted into the corporate life of worship. So this morning I want us to exercise that. I've shared with you the, the rawness of my heart, and not just my heart, but many people throughout Alaska, uh, in the Alaska Native community, my community of Yunokleet, the interim pastor, Nick Bruckner, is going to do five funerals in seven days. There's, there's been some heavy death within our family of covenant churches. But Jesus is present. And these prayers to be read in the corporate worship. This morning, what I want to invite you to do is to think about a painful thing that you are aware of. Uh, and we want to bring that to the Lord. We want to lament to to God. Whatever that is. I've shared with you a few things that are on my heart. You have things in your life. Maybe your family, your neighbor, a co-worker. I was walking out of Red Robin. Curtis, Curtis, I hear. Hey, and there was a friend of mine. I was like, hey, how's it going? And he was was kind of shaking. Pray for me and pray for this guy, my co-worker. He was suicidal today. So it just doesn't happen in Bush, Alaska, among Native people. This was at Red Robin in Anchorage, one of his co-workers at an elementary school. Pray for him. Pray for him. It was intense. 
but to but to lament together, to be in pilgrimage, to not to not rush to try to solve, but to be present, to slow down, to hear the crying, to name the truth, to be disturbed, to remember the awful depth of brokenness, and to cry out to God. So you could think of something, and I want us to go ahead and throw up onto the screen here these words that we'll say together. They come right from Lamentations 3, if we could have that up. Um, it's what I read at the beginning. Lamentations is a book that is just that. It was a cry out to God. And I want to tell you, I was, our commentator said, Lamentations doesn't end at chapter 3, verse 27, where it talks about hope. No, it keeps going, and you don't get a feeling like they answer everything. It's a real fine line between hope and despair, and they're, it's like they're just teetering. And lament, our tears can help cry out. Ancient Israel's faith life, a commentator said, included a rich tradition whereby the integrity and character of God were held up as a reason for God to act on behalf of the petitioner. We have a loving God, this this lament says. And so, uh, think about what it is that you know of that's painful, that needs fixing, that needs to be set right in the world. Have that in mind as we pray. So let me pray, and then let's say this together. God, Jesus, we thank you that you gave us an example of what it looks like to enter into the pain of another. And it was as simple as the shedding of tears. So God, your word is full of laments crying out to you. And so this morning, I've shared my heart I know that with all the people here, there's pain and there's hurt. We walk out these doors. There are things that are not right between races. There are things that are not right economically. There are things that are broken socially. And so together, we want to cry out to you, Lord, this prayer that one of your people wrote many years ago. And so would you look up to the screen and as a closing prayer... Say this together, knowing that we have a God of steadfast love. Join me. I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone, he turns his hand again and again, all day long. So I say, gone is my glory and all that I had hoped for from the, the thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and has bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Amen.